This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Get the Table, another wrestling roundtable discussion podcast with myself, Adam Wilborn, and one of the Dadley boys, Michael Sidgwick, here to discuss another burning wrestling issue. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we review Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, pay per views. We have interviews, more roundtables, discussions like this one, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on Wrestle Culture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick and Sir, we are gathered here today to celebrate two years of AEW Dynamite. It was the anniversary show on Wednesday night this week. Time flies when you're having fun, doesn't it? I mean, we've lived through a pandemic and it's still flown. That's possibly the nicest thing I can possibly say about a television show that has become my favorite ever. Vintage Raw, Vintage Nitro, this for me has got it licked because of the package, and it's the package why I love it. Matches, promos, angles, a constant, mostly absorbing narrative thrust, meaningful range of action. Like, my wrestling tastes are very broad. I have a lot of range in my tastes. I don't like one homogenized product booked at the last minute through the lens of a lunatic. AW Dynamite is a love letter to fans by fans, but they are better bookers than us. Hmm. In, in terms of, like you say, we've been through this journey together. We've been covering it since day one. You were hopeful, you know, you, you basically had, I mean, we sort of acknowledge this, that Sweet TK took your wish list of how you'd like stuff like Monday Night Raw to change and put it as part of a TV show. So I suppose you're welcome, Tony. Um, yeah. But in terms of like even you hoping for what it's become. Did you ever envisage it being something like this? I had faith in the project, the utmost faith from day one. You couldn't watch Being the Elite in 2017 and not think that this is going to be incredible. It wasn't a case of a passionate billionaire with great taste recruits the best free agents in wrestling and have a go on television. You sold out an arena at all in. This was happening before All In, I should say as well. Uh, it wasn't just a case of a billionaire who was a wrestling fan decided to convince the TV industry that the rights fees business was booming. And look, you can get a slice of that pie. And wouldn't you just know it, 
Like some of the hottest free agent talent that's ever been available at the same time is now, in fact, available at the same time. I watched Being the Elite in 2017 into 2018, knowing that they've got the gift for long-term storytelling. You can see just everything that happened with the Elite Saga, with Cody Rhodes taking over the Bullet Club, what an absolutely fantastic heel gambit. Um, knowing precisely his role as someone who isn't the flashiest worker. Well, if I... What's popular? What's hot? The Bullet Club. Great wrestling. Right, I'm going to stall. And I'm going to take over the Bullet Club. I don't want to put this storyline over in earnest turn, tones because it's very bittersweet. It launched the career of one wrestler and benefited someone who... I don't even want to say his name on a podcast. Mm-hmm. But the dick mystery on being the elite was just tremendous. Like, I knew they had what it took to do this. They said all the right things. The early copy was very encouraging in terms of wins and losses mattering. Um, Tony Khan came out. I can't remember the outlet. I apologize. But he said to me and the wrestling fandom that a loss should break a wrestler. They should be thinking of nothing else all week. And I just got... Every indication from the messaging, from the substance of BTE, that this is going to be awesome. And I've only ever really doubted the process once. Two years on, then, we're going to get into some of your favourite matches, your favourite moments, the, the stars that have shone over these past two years and and where we head next, hopefully, with, with AEW. But, yeah, two years on, you know, they're doing over a million a week for AEW Dynamite. They're doing great in their demos, of course, not just for Dynamite, but for Rampage as well. You look at the talent they've picked up. You looked at the exponential growth for pay-per-views, the fact that the last pay-per-view they put on is at least a contender for one of the best pay-per-views ever. Does this mean Tony Khan's strategy has been vindicated somewhat? I mean, absolutely. The guy secured a rights fee to the tune of $174 million spread over four years within months of him producing, promoting, and booking a hit, the likes of which this century hasn't seen in terms of an upstart, the success of which has been unprecedented. The best thing is it not only vindicates Tony Khan's strategy, which itself is something that was projected onto WWE for years and years and years and years by just long-suffering fans who didn't recognize this bastardized sports entertainment rubbish, Not only does it vindicate that timeless old-school pro wrestling is in fact timeless, that it can have an expressive spirit in this like increasingly corporate, franchise-driven reboot world, but it completely, completely undermines every bit of messaging. And sometimes they were stupid enough to say it to, like they say the quiet part, loud WWE, that is. It undermines everything they've ever said. We are marks who... Vince McMahon knows what we want better than we do. They know the way. They lay out matches and pace matches with a slow, methodical bent because it's the psychology. And you're, these marks are thick. You have to go slow. You have to grab a hold. They have to be screamed at to sympathize with the baby face. And they always said all along that, look, these marks just don't get it. They don't get why we script the promos. They don't know why we do the things that we do. Just leave it to the professionals. And Tony Khan had an E-Fed, just like all of us had E-Feds. <laughs> and he traded tapes and he haunted message boards. And he was the guy that WWE all along said, we know better. Do they? Did you think, well, before we move on, did you think 
that we were going to get such backlash. And I, I would anticipate it from WWE and even those within the WWE system. I don't know, maybe it was just naive of me to, to think that you wouldn't get these vincels, these, you know, stands for WWE that leap all over anything that AW they perceive to do wrong. And again, stand for WWE for stuff that I just can't imagine saying, well, yeah, you know, you might be taking the piss out of Man United because they lost, but look at their bottom line. Like, I I just can't get myself in that sort of headspace. But did you anticipate that they were going to get this sort of reaction of, oh, well, you look at you, you're just crap. You can't even sign any big names. They sign big names. Well, now you're just relying on big names from WWE. They, you know, utilize them better than they've ever been utilized over there. Oh, well, you're doing that to bury young talent and all these, you know, people, the originals that were there, they're, they're going to get lost in the shuffle now. they constant moving of goalposts. I didn't think it would be this bad. I did not anticipate it being this bad. Possibly should have given the contents of my comment sections on the articles that I will repeat. I wrote before AEW formed. AEW, um, it's a bit that we do, that they took my ideas on board because they are ideas that a lot of people have had. Let's, like, not corny people with disqualification finishes therefore the finishes of the matches mean something and then you can invest week to week like some basic wrestling concepts and i'm not saying that AEW does basic concepts and them alone some of the bookings incredibly intricate which we'll get into no doubt but yeah i didn't know it was going to be this bad but it's almost like an appraisal they are criticizing AEW in the worst faith it's almost hilarious i've long reached past the point where I get, like, annoyed and knocked that some people could have such rubbish opinions because they don't really have these opinions. They're just saying things to defend themselves against, like, whatever. It's, they are burying AEW, but in reality, what they're doing is putting it over by being so gotten to about it. (laughs) If you tweet through something that you claim to not be bothered by, you're, in fact, bothered by it. And what they are doing is they are tacitly saying, this thing's great, this thing's very popular, way more popular than we could ever have projected. So I'm just going to be a big little baby bitch about it. That's what they're doing. Um, it's really funny. I think it speaks volumes that you, your key response is the cry laugh emoji, probably not in a great place. Like, consider this. Yeah, the cry laugh emoji. It's like you are crying, but you're not smiling and laughing at the same time. You're not, you're just crying. The, <laughs> what you should be, it's the crying emoji. The cry laugh emoji is the crying emoji. Think about this, Will. It's Warren. more appropriate to have that uh, meme with the the face mask over a crying face. Yeah. That's what it reminds me of when it comes to this. Absolutely. Think about this. Right. TNA and Ring of Honor. Did they ever get this kind of treatment from WWE stands? Even when they were genuinely quite good. I mean, TNA was by definition uneven as all hell. But there were certain periods in their history where, like, they looked to be turning a corner or the good on the show was incredible. They didn't have the defense army from the Fed, like, latching on to everything they do, scrutinize everything they do. And the reason why is because as good as it was at its peak, it was mostly not that big, not that great. Ring of Honor, in 2016, 17, it was getting really hot, selling out buildings that they probably shouldn't have run because it was too unambitious. The elite saga was sprawled across BTE and Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Ring of Honor didn't get 
the treatment that New Japan did in terms of fan backlash from WWE fans because New Japan Pro Wrestling was the better, hotter, more acclaimed product. WWE fans found fault in everything that New Japan Pro Wrestling did because they were gotten to that it was getting loads and loads of praise and they, in effect, sold how good it was by rising to the bait. AEW has made six stars in the Tokyo Dome look like a gentle bit of banter between mates and that basically is enough to drive someone like Kenny Omega off Twitter. Somehow he hasn't. But you know what I mean? It was like mm. fierce. It was relentless. Cry, laugh emoji. AEW, it's, it's a different thing. And that in itself almost puts it over for me. And we're not sitting here saying that AW Dynamite or AW on the whole is perfect. Later on, we, close. Will, we will get into how they can improve the areas they do need to improve on. And we'll also talk about some of your favorite matches and moments. But in terms of personnel, who have been the standout performers over these last 24 months for you? I mean, that's, this could be a podcast subject in and of itself. Yeah. Like, I'll try and limit it to 10. There'll be honorable mentions. Kenny Omega, by playing a caricature of a wrestling star, has stumbled upon a very Kenny Omega way in which to play one. There was criticisms about his role. I always thought that were completely overstated. The idea was he was going to lurk in the upper mid card, tell some really good stories with John Moxley and Hangman Page until the time came for him to be the guy. He couldn't win all the time because through the win-loss rankings framework and the fact that they matter meant that if he won too often, which is what stars do, they win, he couldn't be presented as a star slash winner. If he did, he would get the Jericho match too soon. Losing a match of that magnitude would have been worse than him having a less diminished, a more diminished role than one would expect mm -hmm. considering he came from New Japan with all this hype. What he's done over the past year Carrying that belt, he's cracked the goalpost Millie. But because it's Kenny Omega, they move the goalposts. He's in tandem with the buzz and the new signings, but it was happening before Punk and Danielson debuted, this, like, after the pandemic, touch goddamn wood or touch grass. Hmm. Kenny Omega has just been an absolute entertainment machine. To this day, I still even think it, and I'm all in on the Hangman page push, which we'll get to, like, in one minute. He won that belt in... December, December 2nd, 2020. It is October 2021. This rain has got no right to feel so fresh, so hot, so entertaining. I still to this day get people in my mentions saying I'm not ready for Kenny Omega to lose the belt. He's had 10 months. Mm. Can you imagine a 10-month title reign in the Fed? Sorry, this is an AEW podcast, but can you imagine it? People would just be absolutely dull as dishwater. But his blend of comedy, angle work, promo, I often referred to it as the sort of elegant narrative spider web that he's been weaving where it brings in a Christian cage and a jungle boy and that shoots off into something else. It brings in a phoenix for a banger. It brings in um, Eddie Kingston and John Moxley and they go over to the Young Bucks to have a match. Like everything in the orbit of what I'm going to designate the Kenny Omega ecosystem mm -hmm. is just phenomenal, intricate, interconnected storytelling. He's been amazing. Hangman Page is the one. Hangman Page is basically the ultimate FU flex to the bitter Fedstan army. He distills everything that's great about all elite wrestling, and he's going to take that company as his own one day, hopefully very soon. But again, I'm conflicted because the Omega reign <laughs> is so great. He's realized that's a different wrestling audience. 
um, a lot of millennials have kind of been cursed as a generation. Like we've never had the, the fortunes of the boomers that were our parents. It's hard for us to get on the ladder. In the meantime, life itself is just a horrendous digital geopolitical nightmare where we have to listen to, where we don't have to, but we feel like we're missing out if we're not listening to every single voice on the planet on Twitter with their better lives. Political systems are just in total disarray. It's an eco-nightmare. Everyone kind of hates it. And if we don't sell that we hate it, we kind of always feel that we hate it. Hangman Page is the anxious millennial cowboy, has realised this, and he has portrayed himself as an anxious, flawed human being. And even when he was effectively situationally playing a heel because he felt himself to be one. Everyone knew he was just flawed, like we are all flawed and scared, and he's got this incredible bond with the public as a result. And if it feels maudlin and a bit melodramatic and a bit sad boy, he's piss funny. When he did the um, commentary for the rebound Dynamite, if you like, on January 1st, 2020, and he had a beer in his hand, no, he had a whiskey in his hand, and he realized he was caught by the camera and he just went, oh, hello, instantly meme, people fell in love with him. His lower chirons are always really funny. The amount of detail he puts in his matches, again, using the expression, these aren't regulated, polished, functional, formulaic matches. It all out, this isn't even his best match by any means, which underscores how great everything else he's done. Him and Kenny Omega had a match with FTR in which they lost the titles. Now, they arrived at that match and not the Bucks rematch because, manipulated by FTR, um, Hangman Page screwed the Young Bucks out of the gauntlet. He did so by holding on to Nick Jackson's legs when he was about to execute the Meltzer driver. At the all-out match, in a visual plea for atonement, Hangman Page, to stop Kenny Omega getting suplexed from the top rope, held on to Kenny Omega's legs. Just those little tiny moments that if you pay the strictest attention just connect people intensely to this Hangman Page character who's an awesome explosive professional wrestler. He's just enough of a badass that people get him in the old-fashioned pro wrestling way. Yeah. But he's a sensitive, irreverently witty guy that the millennials can get on board with. He's just perfect. There's the, Darby That's Allen uses really atmospheric, eerie short films another completely distinct, expressive ring style to tell stories, to get over. And guess what? He's lost cleanly, genuinely, like, I, I don't have any stats to hand. He's probably lost cleanly throughout his AEW roster career than the vast majority of WWE people because they get distracted, so it doesn't mean anything. They just look like idiots, or they get DQ'd or counted out. And yet, because he kept showing more and more and more each and every single time presented to you by a company that believes you to be able to remember, oh, he wasn't that good a year ago, but he's getting better. He's showing more spirit, and he's coming back, and he's coming back, and he's coming back. He's been phenomenal. The Young Bucks, after playing their... The Elite had to be babyfaces at first because they were the saviors of pro wrestling. Yes. They gave you an alternative. And realistically, the Young Bucks are far better as heels. They've totally been incredible over these past two years. I even like them as baby faces, but I understand why people prefer them as heels, but those people have to understand you can't turn heel mm. in two weeks when you've just saved wrestling in the eyes of the fan base. <laughs> That's pure Russo stuff. A means to an end to play a more suitable role. Dr. Britt Baker, 
like some of the funniest wrestling moments in modern memory she's delivered to us. Some of the best promos, the absolute picture of confidence. She had a match with Hikaru Shida in QT Marshall's gym in which she condensed like a year's worth of improvement in five minutes. And the genius of that was it's when she busted her nose and realized I have to improvise. I have to like work a more animalistic style. I have to just basically go apeshit. Um, and that to me was the first and to several people was the indication of she's a worker. She's an incredible one as well because she's just made up that um, sequence on the fly after she busted her nose. So she's pissed funny. Sammy Guevara, I've said this before, like people in in a picture and picture and break, heels just work holes because they realize no one's really watching. Sammy Guevara had the idea and the creativity to go, right, okay, well, I'm going to make people pay attention to me when no one pays attention to anyone with his uh, flashcards gimmick. His work has been tremendous as a heel, as a babyface. Great slapstick stuff as a heel, the golf cart stuff. Yeah. And he seems to be like a genuinely nice, loyal bloke to his mate, Fuego del Sol. His working style is so electrifying and um, spectacular. Of course, he's going to get over as a babyface. He's been a big breakthrough. MJF, I've said this before, I don't think there's anyone in professional wrestling, other than possibly Omega and Page, considering if you look at the investment at that. Even Cody, who I rate highly, and of course he has to be mentioned here as well, has weeks where people are like, hmm. questioning certain, even when he was hot, he would do certain things, Cody. And I love him, and I'm the Cody guy in What Culture Towers. Even Cody, right, would have a week where it's like, what did you do that for? Like, you've all, you're already on the line of, like, confidence and hubris, Cody. Sometimes he would overstep it. Like, you ha- remember that um, segment when they were building the very early phase of the MGF program? And he came out, and the whole idea was MGF booted him in the bollocks and then said, oh, you can't have a match, though. So the whole idea was Cody had to do anything to get his hands on MGF. And one week he decided that like, he was just going to give away all of his cool, expensive stuff. Like, he took his watch off, oh, yeah. a briefcase of cash, um, like this special Ford truck that Tony Khan gave him that they only made 300 of. It's just like, don't do that. MJF, every single week, the genius of his character is that he gives you a reason to invest, like a a hook. It's his episodic, endless television. A hook to watch every single week. The Cody stipulations, the labors of Jericho, the intrigue of whether he was in or out of the inner circle, or whether the inner circle were going to splinter off into two, or whether he was going to form a secret stable in the background, which we thought was going to be the horseman, but became the pinnacle. Everything he's done has been, oh, I need to see what happens next week. Like He's just an absolute genius at this, and there's a distinction between a guy who's a great wrestler, and MGF is one of them as well, and someone who can be a TV wrestling star, and MGF's absolutely one of them. Um, The Lucha Brothers have just been the Lucha Brothers, and that's awesome. Orange Cassidy, the slow burn push. To this day, I still get a wry laugh out of Orange Cassidy's shtick. He's done so well to get over. And again, Orange Cassidy proves how out of touch so many wrestling observers, and I'm not doing a pun there because Meltzer's admitted <laughs> that he got it wrong, so I'm not having a dig. But many like critics, analysts, have completely got it wrong and are woefully out of touch because he's still really over um, one of the best quarter-hour demo draws. Like Miro... The reinvention of Miro. He's been awesome. Like, you could pick, you could print out from ProfiteDB.com the last six months or 12 months of Dynamite cards, and I'd look and I'd struggle to think of people who haven't even been that great. Mm. I genuinely think, you know, the two people, three people who get the most criticism. Matt Hardy, I get it. I'm not a big fan of his either. But if you look at some of his demos, he's still got a sizable following. 
the other two who come in for the most criticism for being quote-unquote boring white men, and I understand I'd rather see Riho than the pair of them, but that still doesn't detract from the fact that Jake Hager is being a total deadpan boy popper at times. Championships, yeah. Yeah, it's out-of-nowhere boy boy poppers and funny lines genuinely are great. His tag team with Chris Jericho might be the most underrated thing. It's been very brief. They've had six matches together in a tag team. They've all ruled. And Sean Spears... The much maligned Sean Spears, the boring player coach guy who only got the job because of Cody. Solid hand. Solid hand, who did legitimately do some really boring stuff after that first Cody match at All Out 2019. Even he's like this really arrogant prick who knows exactly how to give the audience catharsis. Like he'll flash his titties like an asshole and then get punched in the face. He will work really underlooked matches, like almost from top to bottom, this roster's on fire. And we have to mention the likes of Moxley and Jericho as well, because without them, it wouldn't be where it is today. Moxley, Jericho, Cody, 2019. Like, people think, oh, Cody's, you know, he should turn heels, get a bit boring. People are thinking Chris Jericho. Oh, Christ, I've seen too much of him. And I get it, I do. But let's be respectful. In 2019, three of those people, like, really made this what it is now. Like, if Danielson can say this in a promo, then CM Punk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's just Jungle Boy. I was going to say Jungle Boy, yeah. He's, he's, he's going to be someone we're going to be talking about for years to come, so he doesn't need necessarily that much time here. Taz, Excalibur, Tony Schiavone, like, that's virtually everyone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, let's move on to something that I've been very much looking forward to, and that's you recapping some of your favorite matches and moments of the last couple of years. I mean, there's enough to make a top 10 list, uh, like you say, for for matches in the last year, but the last two years? Favourite matches, favourite moments? What are, you, what are you thinking? I'll do five matches and five moments, otherwise I will literally be here all day. 
Right. Matches. I'm very protective over the pandemic era of AEW. There's an argument to be made. Ask us about something that's rubbish later, otherwise this is going to be a Total Mark podcast, and I'll very briefly touch on it. I'm very protective over the pandemic era. A lot of the recent takes, I don't deny them, is that our AEW is red hot, it's white hot at the minute. Isn't it great at the minute? It's like, I think it's pretty much been great the whole time. I understand why people were completely just not into pandemic wrestling now that we are hopefully removed from it. I understand that we watched it with a certain latitude, certain asterisks of, well, it's the best we've got. It's the only live wrestling outlet other than WWE and New Japan Pro Wrestling. So we kind of have to watch it for our jobs. I would have still stuck with it if I didn't work here, by the way. I thought they did a tremendous job of the atmosphere. One of my favorite bits about it, and it's just a classic in its own right, was the parking lot fight between Best Friends and Tanner and Ortiz. They had such a tremendous fusion of a wrestling match and an actual fight, a vicious glass-shattering, glass-breaking fight that just never felt at odds with itself. Like, they did high spots because wrestling's cool and you can't just punch each other in the face because that's a junkyard invitational from WCW. But how do you do it without feeling like it's not a fight? Well, you get Santana to jump from one car to another with a frog splash. <laughs> and it's like, that's awesome because you're using stuff that's germane to the environment. Instead of hiding something under the ring, he hides something like a stick, a baton of some kind, under uh, over the wheel of a car. So it's like obscured. There's little details like that. And you get ridiculous head drops through windshields. It was just an absolute masterpiece. And it's exactly the sort of thing that they would never have done with their not a pandemic. Why would you present a, sh- uh, a match in front of no fans for what is still a live event business, they, with, alongside the parking lot fight and the Falls Count Anywhere match between the Butcher and the Blade and the Young Bucks and Stadium Stampede, they did matches that you wouldn't normally do during normal times and made masterpieces of them. It's like, it's impossible. The idea of wrestling without crowds, impossible. And yet, they made the impossible, not just good, but at times, like, world-class genius. It's one of the best actual hardcore matches I think I'll ever see. Yeah. So that has to get a mention. Right. It's just too many. (laughs) Omega Danielson. It was on my birthday. It was the fastest 30-minute match of all time, and they could have, like, seven more, and I think they'd only begin to scratch the surface of what they did. And there was someone held up a happy birthday Cedric sign in the audience. Cedric is. And legitimately... That was a match that was so universally great that WWE wrestlers were hoing stealth likes on take, saying it was the best one ever. Um, it made Jim Cornette love a Kenny Omega match. Yeah. Just a total work of art, and again, they didn't scratch the surface. So that has to go on there. Um, it's just simply too many. Give us a few names. I'm genuinely blanking because the... John it's pop, pops into my head. Yes. And it's, it's uh, you know... I mean, Pac Omega, we should probably mention. Yeah, I know awesome. you, uh, you talked about that uh, in one of our recap podcasts a while back as one of your favorite matches of the year that year. But Cody Wardlow in that cage really sticks out I for mean, me. It was absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. What they did was they modernized the cage match without sacrificing what it is. It's a place that you can't escape. There's no climbing. Who wants to watch a baby face be essentially a coward who doesn't want to fight? Ridiculous. They had the high spot moment at the end, but it's how they build to that, where Cody couldn't do anything. He was just getting launched, lawn darted into the mesh of this cage, couldn't do anything. When he finally 
when he finally got enough of an advantage, uh, enough of a advantage to get licks in on Wardlow. Wardlow kicked out of the crossroads. Then Wardlow, because he's not just this one-dimensional plotting monster, he's a massively freakish athlete, did a senton. So all of this meant, and it was so well-built, it was like, I kind of have to move off the cage, otherwise I've got no chance here. So that was phenomenal as well. We'll put that down. because the Winter is coming title match? The Winter is coming title match. It was, it was more, I mean, I suppose that more probably counts as a moment, I suppose. It was probably at the moment, yeah, because the last half was phenomenal. The first half had a bit of aimless limb work. There yeah, we go. that's I'll criticize, I'll criticize Kenny Omega for once. Um, Pac Omega was great. Pac Omega was great. There's just like, there's so many just four and a half star trios matches. Like, four and a half star tag team matches with the Young Bucks. They've had absolutely yeah. several. One literally this week. I on, mean, on the yeah, anniversary show. That's the four thing. on four match. There's one literally this week as well. There's the, I mean, it, you know, it may not be, you talked about this on the Dynamite review this week. It may not necessarily be perfect, but the five on five match with Hangman Page's title shot hanging in the balance. With the Dark Order and stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, and this is... I don't want... The thing is, I want to talk more. I want to transition into moments here. But I also want to take a moment, because I don't really want to bundle this in with Le Dinner de Bonaire or whatever it is, and just talk about that. Oh, it's really hard to talk about because it's tinged, obviously, with such sadness. But the, the Brody Lee Memorial show, the, you know, the week after his sad passing, is... I've never felt that watching a wrestling show before. And I've, I've watched... You know, shows after the passing of Eddie Guerrero and, and yeah. people like that. It was, it's 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 strange because it's probably a show I I don't think I'm going to go back and watch again because I don't want to put myself through it, but it was also necessary viewing, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It was the most beautiful thing that, beautiful wrestling show that should never have happened. Um, there were so many lovely moments, the return of Rowan, the big rig thing. The fact that someone pointed this out on Reddit. God, can you imagine that? A good Reddit post. <laughs> someone pointed out on Reddit that the Dark Order were total losers who needed to band together and get strength in numbers to win. And then they won every match at the Brody Lee Memorial Show. Just what a beautiful thing. Um, I'm putting them over a lot. But MJF was <laughs> a bastard to a grieving child. And that child gave him a kendo stick shot and... Kid smiled at his dad's tribute show, beaming, because he got to do that because MGF had spit on his mask. I mean, it's just absolutely tremendous. Um, the dog collar fight was so great. Again, another modernization of an old standard, which, again, if you want to be poetic about it, apply narratives to things. It just distills what brilliant stuff AEW's done in these two years. I suppose technically the, the, bro, the original Brody yeah, Cody match well. was a Saturday Dynamite. It was Dynamite nonetheless. Absolutely, but the, the dog collar match... They take a timeless classic wrestling standard that has been consigned to the dustbin because WWE doesn't consider itself wrestling and they modernized it. Like when Cody dragged Brody Lee using the chain from the apron into the cutter. I mean, that was just absolutely awesome. Um, they've done like one million great matches on this goddamn show. John Moxley versus Lance Archer, the Texas death match, is another one that I fondly remember because. I just, for some reason to this day, and again, it's the trauma of WWE booking will do this. People, even people who know better, and I'm using not the first person, but I probably should, were a little bit like, oh, are they going to do anything with Hangman Page? Like, even people who know better just don't trust this process enough, despite them giving you two years of time to do precisely that. And when I saw Archer versus Moxie, I thought, oh, Texas death. 
10 counts. Like, it, it's essentially a, a last man standing match. And I'm thinking, oh, for Christ's sake, that's going to be rubbish. And then they decided to kill each other really hard and stab each other with forks in the head to the point where I thought, calm down, you are going to gouge someone's eyes out. So I thought that match ripped in and of itself, but I also loved it because it's just yet another example of AEW saying, here's something. And then some fans just thinking, ah, that, that mm. stipulation. And they go, no, no, idiot, this is why you're getting that. And also, I'll, I'll add to that, you know, uh, it's not going to be in my top 10 AEW Dynamite matches ever list, but I will say the, the Nick Gage-Chris Jericho match because I'm not a fan of those sort of matches. I'm not a fan of Nick Gage, if I'm perfectly honest, generally. But... I mean, you can't take your eyes off something like that, and uh, it was astonishing. Well, before we move on to the uh, the best AEW moments, we should also say, just in case, uh, Sweet TK uh, is listening. Of course, John Moxley versus Jake Hager, which was one of the best AEW Dynamite matches they've ever put on. Let's talk about moments, uh, though. One more, Kenny Omega Phoenix, just because. I've, oh yeah, yeah. I've, God, how could we forget that? It's one of those where, again, it was held during the pandemic. They did have distanced fans in there, but it wasn't the same. Kenny Omega versus Phoenix. Sometimes pandemic wrestling or AEW's approach to pandemic wrestling was so exciting that you almost didn't need a crowd because the stuff they did was so perfectly well-timed and physically impossible that I simply squealed and might not have heard a crowd anyway because I'm a big mark. Speaking of which, you know, we did stand out performance. I do want to give an honourable mention to Austin Gunn for the entire of the uh, <laughs> pandemic era. Absolutely. I might be working on a project that I've, uh, I'm writing a book on AEW. Is there a better way, is there a better podcast on which to drop that reveal? Yes, I'm nearing completion of a book on AEW and I've specifically put over Austin Gunn. For, Deserves it. Someone tweeted me this. I wish I tweeted it myself. Austin Gunn, greater, greater than sign Thunderdome. Yep. I'm saying that encapsulates it so perfectly. You can spend as much money making something look pretty all you like. You have one idea and one person who can execute it from out of nowhere. I'll just have the fans as ringside plans and have like this ridiculous ball of dumb jock energy in Austin Gunn. It's just like he made it so tenable for the longest time. Um, let's talk about some of the best moments of AEW Dynamite and you can't really start anywhere else other than the arrival of Sting. Yeah, I mean, there were 1,000 fans sat miles away from each other, like meters away from each other, like a small smattering. Think of it like a uh, 2019 ROH seat map. <laughs> Remember when they did the rounds on Twitter? Oh. And it was like, oh, oh well. Must mean Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks are draws then, but never mind. And right, they, what's the Top Gear meme? Oh, no. Anyway. Absolutely. So Sting coming out of that pop where it felt like an arena full of people was just absolutely incredible. And Winter is Coming itself, I remember, right? Sometimes I think I'll reach, and I do reach, that I get criticisms for. And they said that winter is coming. John Moxley versus Kenny Omega. Here's the match graphic. It looks a bit like Game of Thrones. There were people on Twitter going, that's lame. Everyone's over Game of Thrones. That ending was divisive. Nobody can be asked to talk about it because it was so divisive, and the debates were getting boring. Why are they using this? Just because it's December, how lame is that? And at the time, I'm thinking, no. Even little tiny things like this mean that, mean more. Like, they think, it, they apply a ridiculous amount of detail on this thing. So because I am a pedantic guy, I seized upon that image and said, they're doing something. They are absolutely doing something here. And I think because Kenta had been teasing 
the Moxley match for ages before he actually appeared at Beach Break in February, I think it was. My initial thought was, well, what happens in Game of Thrones? That this could have some kind of thematic link to that. This is sort of an Easter egg, like allowing you to to talk about. And I thought, well, the Great Wall comes crashing down, and then the invaders from the north come in. So I'm thinking there's going to be some kind of New Japan thing on this show. I just felt it. As it turned out, it was Impact Wrestling. And then later it turned out, but I knew there was something. So that moment in itself was absolutely fantastic. And I basically just used it to put myself over. But it wasn't just the forbidden door breaking, just like the Great Wall. It was also, winter is coming. Sting is going to make his cool tits debut with loads of snow. (laughs) So that was fantastic. The lashes angle. Honestly, I don't go back and watch a lot of things that aren't wrestling matches. I mean... Um, you know, there's things like the, the what was it called? The uh, Festival of Friendship. It's one of my favourite things to yes. go back and watch yes. on regular viewing. This has surpassed it. This is something I go back and watch every sort of six months because it's just a 10-minute masterpiece, in my opinion. It's just great. The way the tension builds, the way you get the slow realisation of, oh, this doesn't really feel like a performance. If you watch it, MGF never plays to the crowd once. And his favourite thing to do MGF, if you watch Uncut promos, his favourite thing to do is to hear a heckle because he's so quick-witted and just jump down their throat. Or if he hears a smatter of a, cha- of a chant, he will either manipulate them into saying it first so he can react, or if it just happens, he will just react to it because he's so quick-witted. He calls them hicks all the time. He's constantly on that crowd. He's a heel. He doesn't play to them once. It's all in the moment about how he wants to humiliate Cody Rhodes. It just feels like it's really... Like distressing, realistic experience. And obviously the more it builds and Cody's family and friends come out, it really feels emotional. And that, to me, I'm going to mention the stupid Fed again. That's the difference. AEW does angles, and they do incredible angles. Like, on the subject of MGF again, who can also sell a hell and craft and conceive the hell out of an angle. Even something as daft as them bloodying up Papa Buck with ketchup. <laughs> yes. Let's face it. It was too funny to bury for the fact that there was literally ketchup on his head. Because my favorite thing was after they did it, just to be dicks, they did the pose. And then knowing that they're the cowardly heels, just went, run. <laughs> I pissed myself laughing at that. Before and we move on to the, the lashes thing, I just want to give a quick mention to Wardlow's. Give me the, give me the belt. Wardlow moving... Four fingers <laughs> at like a five degree angle yeah. to summon the belt was more intimidating than any promo I've ever heard a monster hoss shout. Angles are the difference. There'll be one million angles that I'm forgetting. Bangkok, baby. Like the difference between AW and WWE is angles. And that's what's so captivating about it. Hooking you into a match with an angle, a way to approach a story. Look at the thing they did to Darby Allen just last week on Dynamite. Me and you sat here on this podcast and said, I don't know why they're wearing that because it's obviously them. There are like inadvertent retribution vibes that I'm sure they probably realized afterwards and thought, ah, that's not good. But even one of the stranger angles, let's be kind, was still awesome because they realized it's going to make Darby Allen look so sympathetic when a bunch of balaclava-clad thugs kill him with a lawn dart 
and a bump into a guardrail. And again, like you say, I can't wait to see how this is followed up on, on Dynamite next week when the accusations are thrown. They throw their hands up and say, it wasn't us. Yeah. And MJF has doubled down. I'm not sure if you saw the tweet. I assume it was Wednesday night, maybe Thursday, saying, I'm going to train as hard as I can for this. Yeah. Dynamite. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. One more thing. Two more things. If you noticed that there's a big difference between pandemic-era dynamite and tentative post-pandemic-era dynamite is that during the summer months of 2020, everything was so intricate and slow burn because they realized we can't do these big blockbuster live energy beatdown angles. They did enough of them because they had to with wrestling. But one of my favorite dynamite moments was um, FTR walking into a bar and seeing Hangman Page. And the reason for that is on the road to that built the match between Hangman Page and Kenny Omega and Best Friends, Kenny Omega turned to Hangman Page when they were just having a bit of a pally. The whole vignette between Best Friends and Omega and Page was, oh, we're better friends than you. No, we're better friends than you. It was quite twee um, and a bit jaunty to build a wrestling match. But, you know, those were the players involved, so they did their own thing. During that, Omega said to Page, you don't have any drinking buddies. I'm your best friend. I can count the amount of drinking buddies you have on one hand. A week later... Hangman Page realizes how the elite are teaming again. They just like to be amongst themselves and have a drink because they were working Jurassic Express when Page was in the bar. And then because FTR, in theory, in this wonderfully detailed canon that AEW had constructed for itself, they watched that and said, oh, well, we'll be his drinking buddies because if we're his drinking buddies, we can separate him from the elite, separate him from Kenny Omega. And we've got a much better chance of winning the titles that because we are going to these lengths to win, must mean a heart to get. Therefore, they are incredibly prestigious. Just absolutely genius. Like, absolutely genius storytelling during that pandemic. And I think it goes really overlooked how good some of the storylines they did during the pandemic were. Because I don't think, without that, you get the buzz and the white-hot atmosphere you get around these live dynamites now if they hadn't taken the audience on those journeys during the pandemic. One final thing I want to talk to you about before we move on, uh, and that's something that actually would probably be in my best matches slash moments of, of AW Dynamite, even though I know it was very divisive at the time, and that is Ladina Debonair, because it's something I never, ever, ever, in my wildest dreams, thought about seeing on a wrestling show. Now, I know some people don't like it, and I think that's absolutely fair enough and completely subjective, but I remember, I don't know, he's not even know, sure when this was, but it was in the dark times. I remember laying there at whatever time it was. I think this was when NXT was still going head-to-head, so probably very early on a Thursday morning. And just thinking, what am I watching here? Not, what am I watching here? Like I often have watching other shows, let's yeah. say. But what on earth are we... What, is this a dream sequence? Is this... And it, but it also, you know, if you want to play into it, it's a potential throwaway little musical number for the fact that we need something to brighten up our goddamn lives at this time of year, right? But also, if you want to read into it, and we do, obviously, as our analytical brains often encourage us to, also, Chris Jericho not really being able to keep up with MJF. Yeah, he was out of puff during that match. Again? Uh, during the okay, death. No. <laughs> So, oh, God, again, so they told you a wrestling story um, through the lens of a musical theatre piece. If you want to be even more, you're reaching 
you're reaching. Piss off and read someone else's Twitter, then you sad c- At the start, when I sat down, which was a scheduled thing, it wasn't just, here's some dickhead (laughs) backstage on Raw. Like, they did schedule this as a segment. That's probably a reach. But MGF turns to Chris Jericho and says, think about it, Chris. And then Chris goes like this. And without going there, to symbolize that's a dream sequence, you can make the argument that all he said was think about it. And then for three incredibly funny, like ridiculously creative and well-performed minutes, you're basically Chris Jericho just having a an absent-minded daydream. You could consider it like that. Look, the business wasn't killed. AEW didn't descend into a musical theatre show in the aftermath. It was just three minutes of incredible creativity that didn't ruin anything and weren't this big controversial thing. I'm sure we've missed out many matches and moments, uh, but feel free to continue the discussion with us on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE, at M. Sidgwick, at Adam Wilborn, of course. Uh, let's talk about improvements for AEW Dynamite. Like you say there is areas that they can improve, isn't there? I, I need, at some point, for them to regularly start doing two women's matches a week. Putting one on Rampage and saying, you've got two women's TV matches per week, it doesn't remove the fact that it's a token gesture. I've, again... We talk about AW lots, so the mega fans will surely forgive me for repeating the odd take they might have heard. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Ty Conti was doing really well, and they haven't done anywhere near enough with us since. Where's Red Velvet gone? Where's Jamie Hayer? And the more and more these women make impressions and then just don't have anything else to do, we see way too much of Matt Hardy in the blade. Mm. And it's like, it's not as if the rosters, it's the most stacked roster ever in my lifetime in terms of people I personally want to see anyway. It's not so stacked that you can't find time to get rid of some of the more boring bits in the middle. Um, So that needs to be an improvement. Another improvement on a general level is that if something really emotionally affecting happens, that moment should be registered more. Too many matches that happen on Dynamite and Rampage are built stealthily on dark. Like, challenges are... And again, it's nice that they go to these lengths because virtually every other promotion in the world has just booked wrestlers reasonably strongly. And then when you see a TV title match, any title, any promotion, you think, oh, well, it kind of makes sense that they're getting a shot, I guess. Like, AEW goes to far better more attentive lengths than that, but still not quite enough. I want perfection out of this goddamn company. Mm-hmm. Um, so that needs to be addressed. I'm struggling for much else. Like, it's just the perfect package for me of an episodic pro wrestling TV show. I think people will go back and look at this as either one of the most wonderful aberrations in pro wrestling history or the revolution of its storytelling. Genuinely, like, just so much about the show is incredible. There's a lot of boring white men on it. There are... It moves too quickly. The mid-card this year has kind of been ruined by the fact that it's just the Matt Hardy family office versus everyone. What... what? Come on, on the mark here. You might actually get me to think less markishly if you think of things. No, I think I, I, I wrote that question with the women's division mainly in mind, if I'm perfectly honest there. Um, I agree with the other things that you've, you've pointed out too. But there's not a great deal aside from, like you say, a more prominent, well-booked women's division. And I think I, I think we talked about this 
on the Dynamite review, I think the addition of this TBS championship and the fact that it will, you know, I know it's just another, not to belittle the titles, but another trinket for them to fight over rather than, because I said before it was Britt Baker and whoever she's facing getting promoted and then probably Tay J and Penelope Ford and the Bunny and that's about it. And then maybe occasionally Nyla Rose will pop up and maybe occasionally Jade Cargill will do something or maybe occasionally uh, someone else, you know, uh, might might get a bit of exposure. I think that I think that's the that's the real uh, one of the real weakest points, and to, to say that is is astonishing. And I, I, I some people may say, oh well, I don't like the fact that they drop storylines and pick them up again. But I I'd say I'd rather that you know rather like that as a trade off, and have people cycle in and out like they do, than we were talking about the news. Me and Andy were talking about it on on Friday's news fact that Braun Strowman, because he's gone away, even if he came back next week to WWE, is going to be a huge deal because I haven't got bored of him on telly yeah. for six months. You know, the fact that they can, and they've That's got the, this depth of a roster that they can say to someone, and it doesn't have to be, right, wait, burn out until you get injured, then go away for six months, then come back and we'll give you another push. It's just like, no, you know what? Not creative, we've got nothing for you, but, you know, we've got no burning desire to necessarily see you right now. We'll keep you doing stuff on dark, on dark and dark elevation and what have you, and dedicated fans will watch you on there. But they don't have to have every single top star every single week. No, absolutely not. It's one of the, it's, it's a feature, not a bug. It's absolutely feature, not a bug stuff, this. Um, so that's not a thought for me. Look, I talk a lot. I make sure, and I can honestly imagine people getting bored of it at this point. Every single Raw review, I make sure. Every time at the top of the podcast... WWE Raw, through its format alone and how the storylines are so convenient, is automatically bad, right? AEW Dynamite, through its format and its approach, and this goes such a long way to, for me, enjoying even the 7 out of 10 shows. The format's great. Everything's announced in advance. Everything is presented as, as if it could feasibly happen on a sports broadcast. The match uh, lengths are always going to conveniently fill in under two hours. It's a work of fiction, after all. But there's little, just little touches, like Justin Roberts saying TV time remaining in the main event. And there's just all of it sort of functions to create this realistic, immersive experience. They've delivered to me my favorite format ever of pro wrestling TV. I find it so easy to invest in, so easy to immerse in. And everything else on top of that is just... I'll say it's icing because it's the meat of it, but like I watch great matches with different stylistic ranges and the influx of Punk and Danielson is going to give me the one sort of genre that I haven't really seen on AEW yet. They give their former's creative expression, therefore I get the, some of the best talkers of all time and of this generation together in two hours from on Anderson all the way at CM Punk and all the promos are awesome. And all of them are awesome because they're awesome talkers and they are awesome at doing their own promos. And as I said, like, I think low-key, the one thing that AEW has over AEW, because AEW, uh, WWE has talking. WWE has wrestling matches. Angles, like genuinely, angles are the key to the brilliance of this show. And fundamentals? Great fundamentals. <laughs> um, you just reminded me there, we need to mention, just, just in passing so we don't get in trouble, Armed Anderson and the Shaq match 
we get uh, every week, like virtually every week. Like I said in a tweet once, and again, the mega fans will forgive me. It's almost impossible how this show makes routine. It's iconic moments on the show are a matter of routine at this point. Yeah. If, if four weeks went by and I didn't get something that felt iconic or meme worthy or just incredible, I'd think, oh, well, that's bad. An eight out of 10 show, four weeks in a row that didn't have something iconic on it. Like Sue dropping Trent off. Mm. Eddie Kingston, we haven't even had a chance to mention I, I, Eddie I, Kingston. Establishing himself with a promo, making me sit up and take notice about a man who I'd heard about and never known anything about. And then, I mean, this is the thing. This is the wrong... I mean, thank you for giving me this hour, which we wanted to be 35 to 40, but again, I just do this every time. <laughs> thank you for giving me the platform for talking about two years of AEW Dynamite, but it's not enough time. No. So you're going to have to buy my book when it comes out. <laughs> um, I think I've asked you, you know, pretty tough questions in terms of pick your favorite few matches from, like you say, this this back catalogue of 24 months. This might or might be even the most challenging for you, which is what does the future hold for AW and AW Dynamite, whether it be the future over the next nine days, uh, nine weeks, nine months, or nine years? I, well, I'll try and address this succinctly as possible by focusing on a take someone delivered in bad faith because it's called a copium take of, yeah, this is a company that's, I've worked it out. It's so funny, this. I've worked it out. This company is built on the premise of uh, making people happy. It's like, what? But their, their actual take was, oh, just to rely on pops and debuts and surprises. And, you know, you can't maintain that forever. And it's like, well, it's been two years. And one, you're missing the point because look at Hangman Page's pop. It was as big as uh, Danielson's at All Out. Legitimately, it was. Yeah. And shout out to Brandon Thurston for that hilarious. Maybe they're doing too much good things. Yeah. Like, Fantastic that. Yeah, the business ago. model is uh, it's good wrestling. That's where it won't work. Here's the thing. You think what's next for AEW? As long as they keep in the will, this is the philosophy of the company. As long as they trust their artists to make pictures, the pictures will be beautiful. Like, that's just the long and short of it. And when people say, oh, the pops will run out, what's the future? Well, the future is more of this, but better. That's basically it. And to underline how many pops there are left, it's going to take at least one year for CM Punk. To turn heel, like at least a year, he has to make every city in America before he doesn't get a babyface pop. At least, and yet, and yet, Hangman Page babyface versus Straight Edge heel CM Punk is legitimately one of the best stories they could tell. And given how hot CM Punk is as a babyface, and how hot Hangman Page is as a babyface, and how close he is to realizing his success as a babyface. CM Punk is a heel versus Hangman Page. This could be a potential world title match for Hangman Page deep into his run, or it could be something for Hangman Page to do when he's lost the title a year or so from now or whatever. And that's just one match they haven't done yet. Danielson versus Page. Danielson versus Cole. Cole versus Page. Punk versus Cole. Punk versus Danielson. Punk versus Omega. Eddie Kingston versus any of them. John Moxley versus any of them. Chris Jericho versus any of them. MGF versus any of them. Darby Allen versus any of them. The permutations this company has to make matches and the strengths these performers have to build these matches using their great artistic skills that they're encouraged to do so the pops aren't stopping for three years at and, least. And let's just point out as well, that's, and I'm not suggesting that they should hoy loads more people in there, but that's the roster they've got now. You know, we talked earlier on this week yeah. about the arrivals of a Steen, of an El Generico as well. I'm not suggesting that they should constantly just pick up WWE cast-offs, yeah. as bad faith actors will say on Twitter, but 
that's what they've got now. Yeah. You've got the ascent of Jungle Boys, that world title to still come. You've got, like you say, turns for people left, right, and center. You've got all these different permutations. You've got, I mean, you know, all these intricate, interwoven storylines uh, alongside them in front of your own eyes, as we've pointed out with Jungle Boy and Darby Allen, but now with, you know, people like Daniel Garcia, for example, of them developing their talent that you've, you know, did a list recently about predicting uh, wrestling headlines in 2025, I think it was called. It was a, I think it was a Michael Hamflet joint, actually. And one of them was a network, you know, WWE network, but for AEW, basically. Because in Dark and Elevation now, you've already got the thing where you can go, right, I'll watch the first matches of a Wrestler X when they were just starting out and they were jobbing out to people on, on Dark in five minutes. Take on is a perfect example uh, in terms of someone that they brought in and slowly get better, better matches and better results of their matches as a result of all that. I think it's just, <sighs> do I say it? It's a very good time to be an AW wrestling. It fan. is. You know, it's the best wrestling promotion ever. <sighs> I certainly think it is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I sighed and, and took the mickey there. But, you know, there's the, the wrestling's great. Everything's great right now. Take which is nice and positive and true in certain instances, but never more true when, than when you're talking about AW and AW Dynamite. Indeed. Um, we have a bit of a joke about this. Andy Murray, who doesn't have children, has got way more time to watch DDT and Joshi and all the rest of it, and he does genuinely believe it is, in fact, a great time to be a wrestling fan. The people who say this in earnest are people who like WWE and AEW, and are just jazzed that we're not the Thunderdome anymore. That's the only <laughs> thing great about WWE at the minute. Right, well, let us know your thoughts. I'm sure the conversation will roll on and on all across the weekend regarding this topic, and uh, yeah, hopefully so. I really enjoy chatting about this. Uh, let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch that you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... Well, apologies again if I was all over the place trying to think of the best things and trying to do it definitively, but as I said, the podcast is not the platform for two years, so you just have to buy my book when it comes out, and I will tell you where, at M Sidgwick. Very much looking forward to that. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And if this is your first podcast hearing us talk about AEW, we do previews and reviews of Dynamite and Rampage every single week, as well as topics and what have you, uh, roundtables and that sort of thing. So subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts about that and all the goings on in WWE, of course. But for now, my thanks to Michael Sidgwick. This has been Get the Table. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.